You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we're glad to have you for Application Sunday today. This is a chance, if you've never been with us for an Application Sunday, that to have some extended time together, fellowship, eating together, um, and then we're going to recap some of our sermons over the past five weeks and then talk about just some direct application. And part of the reason we do this is to uh, give ourselves just an intentional time of saying, hey, we want to do more than just hear the Word. We want to do the Word, and we don't want to just keep going through sermon after sermon after sermon without pausing and saying, hey, what are we supposed to do with the things that we're hearing? And so I'm excited to be able to do that with you today, and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper as we always do at the end of our our service today. But um, as Marcus was sharing, you know, we're trying to update you guys on some of the people that we're able to to give to this year, Um, and we've talked about like different months worth of giving that we've been able to do. And I wanted to share just some specific numbers with you so you can kind of have a, an idea of what your giving is doing um, in regards to how we're able to give to others. Um, and let's see, February, when we were able to give to uh, Sarah and um, Aaron's trip, we were able to give almost $2,500 total uh, because of your giving. And then in uh, April... We were able to give, I shared with you guys a couple of weeks ago, the update about the Kuntz family who uh, Andrew had connected me with before his passing. Um, we're going to be able to give them almost $2,600. Uh, last week, um, Sarah updated you on uh, Tamor and his family. This is a longtime friend of Tyson's uh, serving in Indonesia. We're going to be able to send them almost $2,200. Um, and then, or 20, actually we're sending them $2,700. And then the family that Marcus was talking about today, we're going to send them about $2,200. So um, that's your faithful giving that's allowing us to be able to give in this way to uh, support the, the kingdom work that's happening, not just here, but around the world. So thank you for your generosity. We're going to continue updating you in the coming weeks of, of several other uh, opportunities that we're able to give to. Uh, and so we're excited um, about that. Exodus chapter 20. Uh, is where we're going to start today. I don't know, uh, you know, what you've been able to glean over the past several weeks from this section of Exodus. I'm going to give you a chance to share some of your own takeaways before we wrap up today. But I know for me, I've been uh, especially challenged because as we were getting closer to this section, I, I wasn't really sure what all we were going to glean from this. It's it's obviously a a difficult section of Scripture because there's a lot of awkward and funny nuances that just don't resonate with us because their culture at that time so different than the context we have today. But I mean, this has been a a super helpful study for me. Um, It's been eye-opening for myself as I kind of think through my own interactions with people around me and the type of uh, interaction they should have with me. And so uh, hopefully it's been that way for you. We're going to talk through some of those specifics again today, um, but certainly uh, wanting us to take some time today just to evaluate our own application of what we've been hearing over the past several weeks. Uh, we started in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, and I want to read that for you again to kind of kick off this morning. It says in Exodus 20, verse 18, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, 
You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it, if, uh, build it of hewn stones, for if you weld your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by my steps, but go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. We said as we kind of kicked off what we were calling the law for everyday life, that God's character seen in his law is meant to be adopted into our normal rhythm of life as a means of imaging him well, making Old Testament applications of the law relevant, even if they're not authoritative for our lives today. And so what we've really been harping on over the last several weeks is how God is calling his people back then to holiness, integrity, mercy, justice, and fairness in the ordinariness of their life. And he does the same for us, right? That has not changed. Um, The idea that we're supposed to live faithfully in the everyday aspects of our life and the ways that we interact with people should be described with integrity and mercy and justice and fairness all the while we are living to this holy standard before God. Most of our days have a normal ebb and flow, and we're called to figure out how to live out God's word in those mundane, ordinary times. Now, we talked specifically about how we want to be careful that we don't throw uh, these sections out when we come to them in Scripture because we think they have nothing to teach us about living for God today. Like that's a temptation. As we're plowing through Exodus, it's tempting to just finish with the Ten Commandments and say, okay, the rest of this doesn't really have any relevancy for us. We're going to skip it, uh, or we're going to fly right through it. But as we've been seeing, hopefully, over the last several weeks, it does have relevancy for us because God's character doesn't change. And so it does warrant our attention. It does warrant our focus. Um, But we also don't want to think that we have to automatically adopt every guidance as though it applies directly authoritatively for us today. There's principles that we apply, but not necessarily in the exact same ways because our context and culture are different. So we've been seeing principles that do apply to our everyday situations, and we need to learn what they mean, and that makes us responsible then for this new covenant application. Because as we've seen, a lot of this stuff is reiterated in the New Testament. We're called to live this way in the New Testament as well. In the passage we just read, we saw how there's a healthy fear of God and his law, uh, but that it should drive us to a mediator, not good works. The people have this fear of God as they stand before him, and they ask Moses to speak on on their behalf, not, not for them to have to stand before him, right? And so We should see that too through the gospel. As we're presented the laws of God, in the gospel, we see that we're not capable of keeping those commands any better than they were, and that we too need a mediator. And God's made that mediator possible through Jesus. And so the law points us to the need for a mediator, and it calls us to worship him purely through that. We see here at the end of this section that we're not to worship like pagans, that the what of our worship can't distract us from the who that we worship. And so there's regulations that are given about how to worship. I think one of the things that I love most about our church 
is that our, our Sunday morning experience really points us to God. There's not a lot of, a lot of show. There's not a lot of um, you know, extras, I think, that we provide here. It, it really is about pointing us to the Word and pointing us how to live faithfully to God through the Word. And I think that's what he's calling his people to here, uh, to not get so distracted by the ways they worship, but instead to keep their focus on who they worship. That pushed us into Exodus chapter 21 and 22, where we saw part two of living out the law for everyday life. We said the gospel should impact our lives by creating within us a passion for making things right when we have committed wrong, while also being gracious and forgiving to others when we've been wronged ourselves. We won't take time to read through it because it's a lengthier passage, but I would encourage you to go back and read through these chapters that we've been covering. And we'll talk more uh, about why that I think that's necessary. But this passage, if you'll remember, deals with slavery. It deals with fighting and disputes. It, feel, it deals with animal accidents when our animals commit wrongs towards others. It deals with restitution and how to fix certain things. We talked about how these laws were gifts by God uh, from God on how to live in community, how to love our neighbors as ourselves, how to help solve disputes, how to eliminate disputes uh, before they even happen. We talked about how God cares how we stand before him and worship on a Sunday, but he also cares how we handle disputes with our neighbor during the week too. And this section gives us good guidance on how to deal with disputes. Uh, some principles that we saw that I think are certainly things that we carry over into today. The idea that punishment should fit the crime, that intent should be considered when making judgments, that who people are and how much money they have don't matter, that common people matter and we don't treat them like common people, and that restitution should always be made to the fullest extent possible with grace being extended in most cases by the offended party too. Meaning that when we've done something wrong, we do everything we can to fix it, and when somebody else has done something wrong to us, we fight to be gracious in forgiving them of it and not holding them to a standard of restitution. We looked at valuing every person as an image bearer, those who work for us, those who frustrate us, those who in society don't seemingly matter. We talked about creating safeguards to avoid hurting others, uh, to work to avoid accidents. This is where it gets into knowing whether your animal typically causes problems for others and taking precautionary measures to make sure that they stop causing problems for others. We talked about making things right when, uh, when you wrong people, whether you do it on purpose or whether you do it accidentally. We talked about not blaming others who aren't responsible for your harm. He gives us guidance on whether we should entrust uh, our stuff to other people. And then if something bad happens, we don't blame other people for it. He talked about how we should have a perspective of when we loan stuff out that we're willing to, to incur loss if need be, and that when we take, we take from other people and, and we accept a loan, that we're to treat it like it's ours and we take really good care of it. Those are good principles for us to have as we try to live in community and do life together. These are good laws, good instruction that's passed on to us. Um, we talked about how the gospel changes us in the regards to how we see the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth, Right? That's the idea of uh, justice being served, that, a pun that punishment being appropriate and it being right. Uh, but we said that the gospel changes us in the sense that it creates a desire to make things right when we have wronged and to be okay being wronged. And Zacchaeus and Jesus give us that good perspective. Zacchaeus comes to a knowledge of his wrongdoing through the gospel, through that conversation with Jesus, and he says, I've wronged a lot of people, I've got to make it right. Right? 
So he works to, to pay back people far beyond what he took from them. And then Jesus says, hey, when you've been wronged, be willing to turn the cheek. You've heard that it's said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but you be willing to, to incur like poor treatment from somebody and let the, the judges and the others handle the mistreatment that you've experienced. Don't take it into your own hands. You read through some of these passages and you see when you try to take it into your own hands, usually more problems are caused, right? When the two guys get into the fight and the pregnant woman gets, gets hurt as a part of that process, that's because they're taking things into their own hands, right? So the gospel changes us in the sense that we start trying to fix our wrongs that we do to others. We humbly realize, hey, I need to fix this. And when we've been mistreated, we humbly accept it. And we entrust ourselves to the one who is the fair judge to handle it for us. We get into Exodus towards the end of chapter 22 with the third part of this series. And it's a passage that deals with sex and sorcery and pagan sacrifices and how we're to process through all of that. It says, those who follow God embrace responsibility for their bodily passions. They refuse to try to manipulate a good God to do things differently than he chooses. And they protect and provide for those who are in need. Exodus chapter 22, verse 21. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down for that is his only covering and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear for I am compassionate. This passage talks about God's care for those who are in need. We as Christians seek to protect and provide for those who are in need too. It's what we're called to. Before this passage that I just read, he talks about controlling our bodily passions, particularly in regards to, to sexual relationships, that physical acts can't be separated from marriage, that, that there's a design and a purpose for how God's created us and when that's meant to take place. You get into the, the ideas of sorcery and bestiality and strange sacrifices. And the implication we talked about was the people of Israel were going to be tempted to try to manipulate God. That's what that whole sorcery piece was about. Remember that when you're dissatisfied with, with things in life, you can go to the gods and through sorcery try to manipulate the situation, try to change the situation. If you don't like something, you can go to appeal to, to, to magic or to the occult practices to try to get it altered. We said that as believers, we need not appeal to a power outside of Yahweh when we find ourselves in need because he's readily assured us that if there's a trial or challenge that he selects to remain in our life, it's there for a purpose of good that he's intentionally working on our behalf. What's that mean? It means that whatever our lot is, whatever route he has chosen for us, it's purposeful, right? We talked about how God took the children of Israel on the long way to the promised land. Why? 
so that they wouldn't have to fight too quickly and too early when their faith wasn't ready for it. So we've talked about how God chooses our routes for us. He chooses them intentionally, and we don't have to appeal to a different power to change that. We don't have to be tempted with sorcery. We don't have to be tempted with magic. We don't have to be tempted to try to change our circumstances outside what God is giving to us. We can trust him with our circumstances. And then he calls us to the passage that I read to you to feel the needs of others, to to remember where you came from, to see people in need and to try to fix their needs on their behalf. Whether it's a foreigner or a widow or an orphan or the poor, they deserve our special attention. In, in all of what we just read there, God says, if they cry to me, I hear them, right? They have, they have God on speed dial, right? He hears them. He knows what, what, they, what they're missing and what they're lacking, and he responds. But he calls us to be a part of that response. And so he tells his people, be sensitive. Remember, you were in a similar condition in Egypt, right? And you were ignored by the other people in Egypt in that. But God heard their cry, and God responded. And what did he do? He judged the Egyptians. So he warns his people. He says, hear the cries of people around you so that they don't have to get all the way to me to where I then have to punish you for not hearing them yourselves. We're called to to be aware of the needs around us and to seek to help fix those needs of people around us too. We highlighted it with the idea that if you are currently in need, or I'm sorry, if if you aren't currently in need, then God has put you in a position to help someone who is. If you aren't currently in need, then God has put you in a position to help someone who is. We looked at part four two weeks ago, Exodus 22, verse 28, all the way through 23, verse 23. This is a passage that deals with the right type of sacrifice. Talks about not reviling God, not uh, reviling the the rulers of your, uh, nor cursing a ruler of your people, meaning that We give respect and proper uh, reverence to God as authority of our life and the other people that he anoints to rule in our life as well. Talks about offering the fullness of our harvest, the outflow of our presses, the firstborn of our sons. There's this appropriate offering of sacrifice to the Lord. I want to read to you verses 1 through 9 in chapter 23, though. It says, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe. For a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. The remaining section deals with feasts and festivals and Sabbath. We talked about how we demonstrate our desire to be counted amongst those who are blessed by God by being known for obedience, truth, and compassion as we faithfully separate ourselves from that which God is working against. The back end of this section talks about them going into the promised land and God going with them and how they're to live differently than the people that are in the promised land. Much of what he's been instructing them about, the people in the promised land do it wrongly. They do it differently, and he's calling them to a different way of life. 
We talked about revering the authority of God. We talked about preserving truth and justice, being honest with what you share and how you share it with others. We talked about helping our enemies when they're in need. We talked about working our jobs and not worshiping our jobs by taking opportunities to rest from our jobs. All of this led into chapter 24, which we were at last week, the idea of obediently waiting for Jesus to come back. Moses and Moses and the, the, the leaders of Israel are called closer to God. Moses eventually at the back end of chapter uh, 24 is called to uh, commune with God for further instructions. And the people are told to wait, to wait obediently for Moses to come back. And so he gives them instructions, basically start living this way and I'll give you more when I come back. And that's the exact same thing that Jesus has given to us, right? He's called us to live obediently as we wait for him to come back with further instructions. Obedience while waiting. We talked about the holy God of the universe desires friendship with us and has done everything necessary to secure that friendship, calling us to now trust him and obey him as we await the final fulfillment of his friendship at Christ's return. I want to read to you... um, Chapter 24, verses 9 through 11. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Remember we talked about, right before this, there's a whole scene of salvation that's, that's demonstrated once again that God calls them to fellowship, he gives them commands to follow, and then there's sacrifices that ensue right after that. Like that's the pattern of the gospel for us, right? We're, we're called, the Holy Spirit calls us into fellowship with God. We're given a clarity and understanding of what it means to follow him, that we're called to obey him. And it's in the midst of that call to obey, we realize that we haven't, that we're sinners, that we're in need of a savior. And that's where the sacrifice piece comes in. So for all of us that have come to Christ in salvation, we recognized a call to follow the creator of the universe. We recognized that he was calling us to obey him. And in the midst of that, we recognized that we haven't and that we're not capable of it. Right? The wrong response to everything that we've seen so far in Exodus would be to think, hey, God wants me to follow him. I need to start doing better, and I need to fix myself and try to overcome my past sins. No, the message of Exodus is that we have messed up, we can't keep his laws, and we need a mediator to fix it. They're appealing to Moses in a limited capacity to help them, Jesus is what Moses points to, right? Jesus is the better mediator who comes on the scene, who keeps the law for us perfectly so that we can be made right with God, so that we can have fellowship with him like what's described here. And I told you last week, the key piece here is that he, God, did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. They're in fellowship with him like they're not sinful, Think about that. They are in fellowship with him, and it says he didn't lay a hand on them, although he could have, although he should have. He did not, because Romans 3 says he passed over the sins of the former ignorance, knowing that he was going to pour out his wrath on his son on their behalf. That's why they can eat and drink with them. That's why they can eat and drink with the holy God of the universe and not be killed for it, because Jesus is the mediator who makes it possible, makes it possible for us too. That salvation piece calls us to remember his promises. 
as we wait for, for Jesus to come back, we want to remember the promises given in the, at the end of chapter 23. The idea of them going into the promised land, Jesus, or God tells them, he says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you everything you need to overcome these enemies. I'm going to go before them. I'm going to create fear. And I'm, going to, I'm going to pave the way, basically, for your victory. And I'm going to give you provisions along the way. He talks about long life and, and open wombs and, and fertility, like all these things that they need to become a great nation, he promises to them. And even in the midst of it, he says, I'm not going to make it all happen too quickly, right? He talks about the timing of it. He says, I'm going to give it to you a little bit at a time so that the timing is even serving you well. And then Moses says, I'm going to come back, be, be faithful, be obedient until I do. And we talked about last week how that tasting of what we've had already of salvation should make us long for the return of Jesus and should keep us faithful until he comes back. So I left it last week with, are we waiting better than Israel? Are we doing a better job of waiting for Jesus's return than Israel does? We haven't gotten there yet, but we know how bad Israel waits, right? They fall into sin immediately. They're building a golden calf and they're worshiping this God that, that they couldn't wait to, to come back for, right? They just kind of skirted his, his process, skirted his plan, and began to create their own way, their own plan, their own purposes. We want to wait better than Israel did. We want to live out our obedience now the ways that he's called us to. Before I give you some things to remember and some things to do, I'd love to hear from you what particular takeaways maybe that, that you have gleaned from the past five weeks. Anything that's really stood out to you in these sermons that you're like, hey, this is something that I plan to hang on to going forward. This is something that I want to directly seek to apply in my own life. Anything that has kind of stood out to you over the past five weeks. Anything that you look back on, a difficult, challenging, unfamiliar passage for sure, anything that's kind of stood out to you that you would say, hey, this is, this is important. Yep, that God's chosen people are repetitive sinners, which oftentimes we want to look at them judgmentally, and really all they are is a reminder of what we are ourselves, right? Yeah, Anna. Yeah. Yeah, seeing the perversion... Yeah, the, the Israelites certainly perverted what was given to them. They tried to make it manageable. Hey, let's take the, the, the word of God, the laws that God has given to us. How can we make that manageable? And so that's what, that's what that legalistic perspective was for the Pharisees. They, they manipulated it into such a way where they felt like they could keep it, but they imposed a lot of extra regulations that, uh, that weren't always intended. Um, and so it really muddled up a lot of things and, and, and created extra burden that the law was never meant to have. Any other thoughts on the past several weeks and takeaways from that? Well, here's three things that I would want you to remember um, that have really stood out to me in this study. Number one, the Old Testament laws will forever remain relevant because they are tied to the unchanging character of God and his desire for us to reflect him well. You may not always be here at Sovereign Hope Church. The Lord may move you and, and call you to a different church family. Make sure you settle somewhere where the Old Testament is upheld, right? It does not lose its relevancy. It will never be outdated. It will never not have purpose for us, right? Is it different than what it was for them? Absolutely, right? We've talked about how they lived under a government that answered to God 
far differently than the governments that we will live under here on this earth right now. So the, the direct application is certainly different, but it does not lose its relevancy. It will remain forever relevant, right? Because the, the character of God is displayed in his laws and that, that doesn't change, right? And so his desire for us to reflect his character does not change. And it's why we see so much crossover in the New Testament. Here's God's laws coming out again in the New Testament. And some of that application shifts in the New Testament. It looks different. The way the Sabbath is carried out looks different. These things aren't upheld in the same way. Why? Because God's people began to expand outside of Israel, right? Outside of Israel, God's people begin to grow and the, the Gentiles are responding. And so the direct context, contextual application of the law, it looks different, but it does not lose its relevancy. Number two, treating people graciously and being proactive to right the wrongs I create is an indicator that the gospel has truly changed me. I want us to remember that the ways that we treat people matter, all people, not just the people that we like, not just the people that are like us. Treating people graciously matters, and it reflects the gospel change in our hearts. Being proactive to right the wrongs that we create, those things that we do intentionally and unintentionally, it matters. It's an indicator that the gospel has truly changed me. And then lastly, number three, godly faith means I obey what he tells me and I accept what he gives me with a patient contentment that doesn't try to change either. This is a big one here at the end. Godly faith means I obey what he tells me and I accept what he gives me with a patient contentment that doesn't try to change either. You may never feel tempted to go explore solutions through sorcery, right? Like that may never be a temptation for you. I hope it's not. But a lot of us will stop well short of that, but we will, we will be tempted with the same heart and the same mindset, and that is to change what's been given to us and to do it without a level of contentment that Paul talks about, right? Like Paul talks about this contentment in Philippians 4. Whether I'm brought high or brought low, I've learned to be content, right? It's, it's all things through Christ that strengthens me that he talks about there, right? And so the idea is that, yeah, we may never get to the point where we're trying to conjure some spirit or some power to change our circumstances, but oftentimes we will fall into the trap of wanting to change particularly the commands of the Lord. While the people of Israel garnered this like legalistic perspective, right? Oftentimes what we're seeing in the church today is people trying to minimize some of the things that we're called to, trying to excuse some of the things that we're called to, and trying to do it differently, trying to do it in a way that pleases us. And so we want to do what we want to do, and we'll try to manipulate God's word to allow us to do it without conviction. Hey, I'm getting away with this because I've reinterpreted what the Bible says about it, right? Like we have to express godly faith in what he has called us to obey and what he's given to us as his people with contentment, and we don't want to change him. Because if we really believe that he's good all the time and that he's always working good for his people, why would we want to change it? Why would we want to change that? Like if we really believe these things about him, we wouldn't want to change it. And we would, we would, we would readily accept it. And it's hard to do that because we, we, we think that we know what we want better. We think we know what we need better. And I would, I would encourage you to hear God saying, I hear the cries of my people and I respond to them. He knows what we need. 
right? And we can trust him and we can obey him and believe him in that. Three things to do that tie in with the things, three things to remember. One, seek to understand God's character more and let it press into your daily rhythms in order to live out his commands in your context. Seek to understand God's character more and let it press into your daily rhythms in order to live out his commands in your context. This is where I would say I encourage you to go back and read through these chapters more in depth on your own personally. You need to be familiar with the character of God, not just in this section, but he continues to expound upon this into uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Like there's things that the people of Israel are called to do. We're not getting into those books yet, right? But that doesn't prohibit you from spending some time just reading about the character of God, particularly in the Old Testament, an area that oftentimes we neglect. Man, God's character flows so clearly in the Old Testament through these things that he's calling his people to. We need to understand that character. And then we wanna let that character press into our daily rhythms so that we live out his commands in our context. Your context looks a little bit different than mine. And that's where we get into number two. Evaluate the type of treatment the people you interact with most should be receiving from you and make adjustments where needed. There's a whole lot that we've seen over the past several weeks about how we're to treat other people. Some of us have people that work for us. There's been a lot of talk about how that should look. The type of fairness that should be given to those people who work for you. Your context may look a little bit different, but I would encourage you to evaluate who are the people that you interact with and what are the types of treatment that you feel like they should receive based on what we've been learning and make appropriate adjustments where needed. There's some wrongs that maybe need to be righted by you. There's some things that may need to be adjusted by you based on the principles that we've been seeing in these chapters. Starts by understanding God's character more. Let it press into your daily rhythm so that you can live out his commands in your context. And then specifically, that means evaluating who are the people that I'm interacting with on a regular basis? What type of interaction should they be receiving from me? What needs to be adjusted based on what I'm reading about? The fairness and the justice and the truth, right? I challenge our middle schoolers all the time about gossip and slander because it's rampant at this age. It's rampant where people are jockeying for position and the best way to jockey, the the easiest way to get above somebody else is to tear others down, right? To to not try to be last who then ends up being first, right? Not serving so that you end up leading. The easiest way is to try to jump up into that position yourself before somebody puts you there. And the best way to get to that position is to tear other people down, right? What type of treatment do the people that you interact with most need from you based on what we've said? Verse three, and number three, assess whether there are specific commands or specific circumstances you are dissatisfied with and take action to address it biblically. Are there specific commands from God that you're wrestling with? Are there specific circumstances that you're dissatisfied with? Address that biblically. That could be simply you going to God's word and letting God's word flow into your mind to correct your perspective. It's also very biblical to have people in your life who can exhort you, who can challenge you, and who can rebuke you when needed to get you back thinking the way that you should, right? I I encourage you and challenge you. Like if you're dissatisfied with God right now on any level where you're not trusting the commands that he's given you because you'd like to live differently than what he's calling you to, or you're not satisfied with the circumstances that he's given you, I challenge you to to, to look at that biblically and say what, what scripture needs to be poured over my mind to correct that thinking. 
And if that's not working, who are some people in my life that I can let speak into that for me to help get me thinking back to where I should be? What do we remember? What do we do? Challenge you to look at these six points. These are takeaways from our last five weeks. Any questions that are still there for you over the past five weeks that I can try to help answer before we transition to partaking of the Lord's Supper? Told you that I wanted to start offering this to you as well as part of Application Sunday. Questions for you to ask that maybe I didn't clarify well enough over the past five weeks that are still lingering for you that, that I can try to address on the spot. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, Marcus is going to come and lead us through our, our time in the Lord's Supper together today. God, we, we thank you for the reminders that we've seen today, and, and God, I pray that we would uh, yield to the specific applications that have been given today too. Lord, help us to see your character in the words that we've been reading and studying over the past five weeks. Lord, help us to see your heart. And God, I pray that that would press into how we're living our lives on a daily basis, that it would press into how we're treating people on a daily basis. God, give us a desire to right wrongs when we're responsible, whether it's intentional or unintentional. God, give us a desire to be fair and just towards others. Lord, help us to to have a desire and an awareness that everybody we come in contact with is an image bearer of you. Every child, every adult, every customer, every coworker. Lord, help us to see that the interactions that we have, the ways that we treat them, the ways that we talk to them, the ways that we deal with them, friends and enemies, it's a reflection of what the gospel's doing in our life. Lord, help us to be content with what you've given to us. You've given us clear commands to obey, and you've given us clear circumstances to live out that obedience in. Lord, help us never desire to change your goodness to us. Instead, Father, give us a desire to find the goodness in it. When we question it, Lord, give us a desire to address it biblically with your word, through your promises, and with other people in our life who can speak truth to us when we're having a hard time finding it. Lord, help us to be different after studying this passage. Help us to be changed. Help us to wait patiently for you in faithfulness, not by turning to false gods as the Israelites did, but turning our attention to you, the things that we've tasted so far. Give us a longing and a desire for more when Jesus comes back. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.